Hello, and welcome to the West Meeting Room. We are broadcasting from the Map Room Studios in Hart House. You're listening to CIUT 89.5 FM, and we're grateful to be taking up space on Dish with One Spoon territory. I'm Sabrina, and I'll be your host for today's show. In the studio joining me are my co-hosts, Mika, Brayden, and Saba. Thank you all for joining us, and today we'll be discussing a couple of things. Firstly, I tasked the team with creating a narrative podcast piece, and we've gotten some submissions from team members to listen to and reflect on. Then we'll roll into the second portion of the discussion, which will focus on self-love, self-care, and self-acceptance since we're airing the day after Valentine's Day. So getting into um, the first part of our talk, Brayden, did you want to uh, introduce your piece and then we can listen to it? Yeah, sure. I interviewed my partner. Maybe I'll just save any explanation. <laughs> I'll talk about it after, but um, it's called The One. And I wasn't, I forgot that this was airing after Valentine's Day, but you know, just more depth to the meaning. <laughs> so here it goes. What is The One? It's the beginning. It's uh, the downbeat, which is like the, it's the one in, in whatever sequence of um, patterns you're, you're, you're playing. So it's just the beginning of any song or, or not necessarily any song, but it's the beginning of any movement or cadence. Noah is a drummer. If he heard me say that, he would probably respond with something like, well, I don't know about that. I just I just attempt to play the drums very badly. But embarrassment and humility aside, I don't think that's true. I say he's a drummer because you can't separate him from the tapping. It's always there. He clenches his teeth to a beat when he's thinking. He drums on the steering wheel to the beat of the turn signal. He is forever getting shushed by the people who love him because he is always tapping his toes or fingers or pencils or water glasses. Beats just bubble out of him as if there were this rhythmic fountain just beneath the surface of his skin. Why the drums? <laughs> I don't know. I honestly, I have no idea. I just remember always like, that was a thing that I always wanted to try. I think I got a drum kit when I was in grade like six and I had wanted one for a while. So that means that you know, as a 10 year old or something, I, I, that's what my desire was to do was, yeah. Rhythm just seems natural to me. It just seems like I like hear rhythm in like all over the place and so much of the natural world, there's rhythm everywhere. Can you give me some examples of rhythm you find in the natural world? Yeah. One that we shared is I remember when you were in the delivery room for Mattis. There was all these different beepings going on and it was like in a certain pattern. And at some point you and I talked about it. Cause I was like, do you hear that song? And it was like, you know, it was like that kind of a thing. And so, but like, I don't know. Um, 
like uh, at work all of the time. <laughs> I'm uh, like when I'm like sheeting a roof or a floor, you're like you're you're pumping in five or eight nails in a row on 16 inch centers. So that's like seven rows or whatever. And so you're just, you're doing it methodically. You know, that's like what I'm hearing in my head is, and you're just like pumping nails in and everyone else is doing stuff around you and you hear whatever's happening. And it's, it's patterns. Trains are obvious ones. And then just like other stuff, I don't know, there's just certain, anything that happens with some moderate form of regularity is like drummable. The thing I love about Noah is when I'm watching him play a live show, the singer, the guitarist, the bassist, you know, everyone in the band is all looking out at the audience. But when I look at Noah, Noah's watching the rest of the band. He's, he's, he's looking at all of his bandmates and guiding them along through all of their songs. And so... When you get lost in all the noise, there is always this beating heart that will help you find your way back to the one. That made me happy. <laughs> that was so good. I'm not making my narrative. <laughs> No, <laughs> that was so good. <laughs> that the part beautiful. with the beep beep boop beep beep. I know. <laughs> that's like gem out. Oh <laughs> I thought that, that was so beautiful, and how it all came together, and it was so. It was almost like we were getting a glimpse into your intimate conversation, and it felt like I felt so honored to to be a part of that. Um. Yeah, so we were talking about the brain and all that kind of stuff at our last meeting, but the way that you were describing Noah as a drummer, watching everyone else, and like you watching him, watch other people who are watching you as a concept, but really like the rest of the audience, I felt like I was moving through that scene. And then your conversations, I don't know, like even the hospital room, and just like, I felt like I was looking in your window but in like a not creepy way um, more like in like a friendly like i'm here experiencing this experience with you guys next we're going to listen to my episode called adventures in new Cricadia, and i'd also like to talk about it after we've listened to it and also just a little note for anyone listening if you hear any rumbling or vibrating um in the studio there's actually construction going on under our room in the basement of the building and the vibrations are kind of coming up and through the microphone so sorry if that is distracting we hope that it ends soon i'm maxwell i'm sabrina's partner and I'm here because we're seeing the new circadian exhibit at the School of Architecture. Um, based on other people's description, I'm thinking like quiet, dark vibes, but um, I'm not really sure. I've, 
Like based on the pictures online, it was like just a bright wooden room with like cushions. The new Kirkadia exhibit at the University of Toronto's John H. Daniels Faculty of Architecture, Landscape and Design, also dubbed the campus's new nap room, has made its tagline, Adventures in Mental Splunking. Before we get into exploring the exhibit, let's find out what splunking is. Splunking, more commonly known as caving, is the recreational sport of exploring caves. And if there's one way that I had to describe new Kirkadia, cave-like would be it. So, I'm Kristen. I'm one of Sabrina's friends slash roommates. Um, we're currently in the Daniels building at the Circadian, the, the new Circadia exhibit. I'm just here to look around and see what the hullabaloo is about because people are talking about how great the cave is, but I don't really know what that entails. So here I am. Yeah, in the earthy tones that are all around us. And it was really interesting seeing the different institutional um, time frames, especially like a student in a boarding school time frame where there's six hours of sleep. That is surprising. Yeah, that was one that kind of got me too. They have one that's um, a California boarding school student yeah. schedule and the little sleep section of the pie chart is literally like from midnight to about 6.30 and then the day is just filled with stuff. It's interesting to see how different institutions regiment um, time. Definitely the rumbling takes the most um, notice before we go down the stairs because like you can literally feel the floor shaking as we're sitting here. It's supposed to be reminiscent of a cave. I think I said this already, but I feel like, I don't know, it kind of reminds me of a binaural beat, like a singing bowl, but at the opposite end of the sound spectrum. I feel like I'm gonna walk down and people are gonna be like doing yoga all at the same time. Maybe it's a giant singing bowl, like just the really big ones that makes a deep sound instead of a high sound. A bedroom away from bedrooms, Going down the stairs into the gallery space does truly feel as though you're leaving behind the waking world with every step. Though the welcoming entry space with the extensive pillow wall and hidden library is impressive, it's not until you walk behind that felt curtain walling off the space that you're truly transported into another environment. Your ears are welcomed by a low, relaxing binaural beat while your eyes scan a landscape of differently shaped rock-like furniture. Seemingly uncomfortable, the felt-lined wooden furnishings get the job done once you've settled into them. If that's not really your thing, you can always lie on the floor supported by a pillow. There are cubby-like spaces indented into one of the walls that attendees can climb onto and into if they'd like a more isolated experience. The sound of something, I can't quite put my finger on it, maybe a plane or a crashing wave, fades in and out of the backing track every few minutes, adding to the ambiance. A disco ball in one of the far corners simulates, at least to me, a starry night. And the mesh material hanging from the ceiling at different lengths does a great job at simulating stalactites. I'm definitely way too worrisome to let myself fall asleep in public, but I love to use the space for meditation or otherwise unwinding in the dark, calm room when the rest of campus is too stimulating. The quiet, dark nature of the space does not seem to make it conducive for groups that are looking to socialize. but. One of my favorite activities to do with a friend is to head to the dream station and listen to the dreams that other attendees have recorded, and then talk about what we heard once we've resurfaced. It was a really relaxing space. It was really interesting. The sounds kind of like go across the ceiling and move as if like an airplane's going across. Yeah, I noticed that too. I literally wrote down in my notes, I was like, sound of water, like waves crashing, or an airplane taking off, or... 
you know, something like that. Yeah, it like goes across and you feel the vibrations, although honestly the vibrations are less strong when you're in the room compared to when you're above it. Yeah, it was really interesting. It, um, there was the stars in the corner, which I thought was really cool, because when you're in the main area, you look up and you see the stars like your night sky. It's really cool in there. It's really relaxing when you're sitting, and the chairs are actually fairly comfy, without extra cushioning. It forms to your body, kind of. So, honestly, I thought it was going to be kind of gross down there, because, like, it's, like, felt material and stuff and I was like I don't know who's been here don't know whose phalanges have been where but now I'm I feel like a new person honestly like sitting in that space is like it's way different from sitting somewhere at home if you're at home chilling in the dark which I have done sometimes and been judged for it's just like it's different like you feel like you're at a library but it feels a lot less tense when you're at the libraries on campus, it feels like everybody's like racing to get something done. And like, while you can read in this space, people just seem to be like at peace, which I think is really nice for once because everyone doesn't seem stressed. And I love it. I love it. That was really fun. The exhibit itself is a lot of things, though I would say that two of its focuses consist on sleep and time. More specifically, how the construct of time in an era of globalization has affected human sleep patterns and measures of productivity. How can an individual rest, both as a biological need and as a state of relaxation, when they're expected to be at work from 8 to 5, as well as finding the time to take a meeting at 2 a.m. with a business partner half the world away? I can't say that New Kirkadia has the answers to this problem, but it sure seems to have an agenda on how to combat it. Thank you for listening to my piece on New Kirkadia. If you'd like to learn more, please check out the links in the show notes below, or pick up one of the many pamphlets available to you throughout the exhibit during your visit. I think that was so beautifully produced. Yeah, you strung like all these elements together. It was funny. I'm like, in, I'm like in that place. Yeah, I just want to go. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I really want to go. That was awesome. Mm-hmm. That was so good. It was, yeah, it was like a nice mix of like informative but also um experiential like it was so interactive yeah. like i felt like i felt myself in that space and i can't get the word phalange out of my <laughs> so i'm adding that to my vocabulary but also like zooming in and out i feel like we're zooming in on a like very specific like we're like going along on this like field trip with you but then it's also like zooming out and thinking about the larger implications of how our sleep is affected just like the way our society operates like yeah i thought that was just so artful the way like you played with that lens yeah and also the sounds like how yeah how did you do yeah yeah, what are the soundscapes can we break those down yeah (laughs) so a couple of them were from free sound um the beginning kind of like like the I don't know how to describe it that's from free sound and then after when I start defining splunking there's kind of like popping cavey water sounds that's also from free sound and then that first sound plays again at the end but in the middle where I'm kind of describing the whole experience so I don't know if you heard the undertone that was kind of there the whole time but that's that binaural beat that I made myself in audacity and then there's a collection of sounds the first one that came in after the beat was the crashing waves which was also from free sound after 
after was the popping bubbles and that's actually um max doing the dishes um we have a whole bunch of these like mason jars that are from pasta sauce that we wash out and use for other things and he was submerging it in the boiling water and when you submerge it at the right angle like the bubbles the air bubbles pop up and it was the sound of the air bubbles coming back up and then the last one was kind of like a plain sound which is also from free sound so a lot of the sounds i kind of ripped from free sound that were like free do whatever you want with them and then the binaural beat i made myself um which was a time it took like an hour and a half and then the popping sound was just max doing the dishes yeah. But I think it's also that the way like you curated the sounds and you put mm-hmm. them together along with the like the spoken pieces, like where everyone was kind of talking about their experience, like it was so perfectly timed. So it felt like so cohesive. Yeah. Um, so I think the curation aspect of that is also very important. Like the bi- I love the binaural beat. I was so conscious of that because I remember you talking about it and I was so aware of it throughout the entire thing and a very it was very grounding. But even if you didn't make those other sounds yourselves, uh, yourself, the way you curated it and put it together was also very like artistic and very you thank you the timing was timing's a really big thing for me in all of my pieces I always like to make sure it sounds right and the spaces are right but in talking in the larger concept of the pieces because I know you Saba and Mika got a start um what were y'all looking to create a piece about so I have two ideas and I think so my brother's coming this weekend and I was kind of thinking that we could have like an informal interview over dim sum um, because we're both half Chinese and that's like the only way that we connect sort of to our culture. Um, And I was thinking of bringing my boyfriend who's Indian to like that space and seeing like, you know, and introducing him to these dishes that like we've been eating our whole lives and sort of recording that, especially because like Chinese restaurants are really loud and there's just like so much going on, like different languages and like the plates clinking and clanking and everything so I thought it'd be interesting or if not I wanted I'm like in a process right now of this sounds so weird but sort of like reclaiming my agency um I feel like I've had a really bad year in some ways and so I kind of wanted to like record all the spaces in which I feel invisible and sort of insert my voice in them and explore maybe why I feel invisible in them um so I don't know that was like my second choice I love that those yeah. are great ideas. Yeah. yeah. I want I, you to make them so I can hear them. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I was going to say, I want to listen to that. <laughs> I want it to happen. I think um, for my piece, I was exploring uh, language as a form of intimacy. And uh, especially because my partner and I... Um, well, we're both Iranian, uh, but my partner uh, spent most of his life in Iran, and so Farsi, which is my mother tongue as well, is spoken so much more naturally for him. Like, it, it comes so naturally. And then for me, English is actually, it's easier for me to communicate in English than it is in Farsi, even though I always grew up speaking Farsi in my household. I think it's difficult for me to communicate love in a way that, um, like, to communicate all of my feelings in Farsi. And so there's this almost, there's this divide when I'm trying to explain how much I love him because for me uh, language like verbal language is uh, how I express my affection throughout a relationship it's been about learning how to um, love him the way he wants to be loved but also try to kind of reconcile that part of me that feels kind of frustrated when I can't communicate exactly what I want to say so it was it was really tough because even 
it went down to the basic things like in English there's like there are the three words I love you which we use to communicate and that same phrase has uh, so many variations in Farsi there's so many ways to say I love you I explored that in the piece so the piece is called to love and it was kind of the idea of like what does it mean to love and to be loved I don't know if you've heard of the five love languages but it was exploring that but also um, like our own personal experiences with love in communicating love. I'm sorry, that was very long-winded. <laughs> um, that kind of actually embodies my whole experience trying to create this. It's always, it's just been very hard to kind of put it into this box and like to curate it in a way that I felt comfortable releasing into the world. It's really good to hear it. So yeah. it was really nice. It gave me a really good picture of like what you were going for, mm-hmm. even if we didn't get to hear it, which yeah. was a really good description. What were any challenges that you faced putting the piece together. My brother arrives tonight. So that's like a that's a big part. But also like with the spaces in which I feel invisible, like a lot of them are in relation to other people and I feel like I don't know if I fully have their consent to sort of do that or to record them and then for me to sort of acknowledge like I don't really feel a part of this. Um I think that could be potentially hurtful to the people that I'm around sometimes in which I really don't feel seen but at the same time like I guess I should probably have that conversation with them and like acknowledge like well this is a reason why I'm even doing this piece in the first place so um for me time was a big factor as I feel like with everyone but I think also because I find like with this podcast style there's a lot of moving pieces and parts that aren't exactly the same you have your narration your on-site stuff like also maybe some like research and all those different parts and I found with every individual part I could see how that part could fit into a wider narrative that I had imagined but once I had all the parts together on the editing software and I just needed to like piece it together I hated all of it I don't know it was like really weird because all of the individual pieces seemed really really great but then you put together this picture just didn't sound right to me it was like there's always something missing or they didn't mesh well together or the beat that I made once it was under the actual narration I was like this sucks so it was just kind of putting it together and listening through it and actually appreciating what I created um and enjoying it for what it was and um seeing the good in it which was also helpful through just like showing it to my household members and like having them comment on it as well and I think that's a challenge for anyone in any artistic medium is like actually having a thing done that you've like hyped up and then you just don't feel like it met that potential yeah I think it's also because sometimes we compare it to these very highly produced like narrative pieces which are also amazing as a model to kind of try to emulate but I also think it's really beautiful to have something that's a lot more like homegrown and it's very um it's uh, not simpler in the sense that it's not artistically like sophisticated but I think it's more uh, like you're focusing on the the words and themselves rather than like all of these different pieces that kind of uh that fit into this puzzle but I think yeah something that prevented me from (laughs) playing it today was because I felt that it wasn't like meeting up to that expectation that I had set from listening to other highly produced pieces and also I what Mika said resonates with me as a lot as well because of the nature of the conversations we're having because they're so intimate because um it you are kind of allowing people uh to glimpse through that window that you've kind of been covering for so long and trying to protect 
these relationships and these feelings, I think it is difficult to broach that kind of divide where suddenly everyone else can also listen in. And especially when uh, the topics are so like intimate and so like personal. So that was like my hesitation. But I also think it's really nice to to produce the thing. And I think that's the a huge part of it. But then also like when you do get over that initial fear of like, I don't think it sounds right. I really loved what you said about how you just, you need to accept it. Because I don't think if that, that feeling ever really goes away feeling like it doesn't sound exactly right I feel like there's always something that you can change with it there's always something you can you feel that you can improve but like when I'm listening to both your piece Brayden and Sabrina I felt it was so perfectly put together like I I really loved listening to it I and I think like with these pieces that aren't as highly produced like they feel more raw I, I think that's like a good word to describe it and you know like this is like a one what is it one man show like essentially right um and then like all the pieces that we listen to by like NPR there's so many people behind every single moment of the audio that you listen to right so I don't know I think that's always like a good reminder I, I don't even think it's like oh well this is like good in its own way like I just think it's really refreshing to hear something that yeah it's like homegrown that feels really like close to us in some way because it I don't know it seems more like audio that you can encounter in a way So I know I sent you guys that long resource list with the more homegrown sounding narrative podcast from the KCRW Radio Race. And um, those were really good examples. But I always found myself coming back to listening to The Inclusion Writer by uh, 99% Invisible whenever I was like, like, that's the one that I broke down. And that's what I was comparing my episode to, partially because it was like one of the shortest ones that I sent everyone. Um, And every time I would like listen to the transitions or the way that his voice sounded, the narrator, and how natural it was and how flawless it was. And they were using like a whole awards show example and I was like mine sounds like trash and I feel like that's also a learning experience not just to learn to love your work but also sometimes the path to loving your work is to compare it against work that's similar because like Mika was saying you can't compare a one person project that you're doing part-time while you're also in school full-time or working full-time or what have you to a project that has 20 people behind it and everyone's getting paid full-time to do this and they like live breathe eat sleep you know creating audio I just I feel like that's just kind of like the nature of the arc of creating like you you come up with an idea and you have big dreams and they're super expansive and you're gonna make I like for me I was gonna make this like in-depth interview trying to like pick apart you know dissect my partner's brain and how he thinks and like I'm gonna layer in all these like beats and stuff and like and it and just because of the time constraints is something I really came back to a lot was like a quote that Phoebe Wang brought up I think it's a Da Vinci quote that um art lives in constraints and so I just tried to keep that in mind and basically the only reason you're gonna I, like for me I'm the only reason I'm gonna finish something is because I have a deadline and so I just tried to really distill it into like a singular thing and so I just started that with you know what is the one and just centered it around that and then like all the tapping and stuff in the background is just like him like tapping on the couch or like on a box or something and um so so yeah just tried to keep it like really um simple but that was also just a product of like you know we're all doing we're all slinging this together like in the space in between doing a million other things what would you have done differently if you were to start this process over again today in other words what did you learn from this experience about creating a narrative piece 
Something I was thinking about is that idea of just moving beyond planning and actually doing. I think that's something that I would change. I mean, it's so good to create this plan, to write out this script, to kind of try to piece all these pieces together um, right in the beginning. But it's not until you actually do the thing and you're recording and you're producing and you're trying to uh, you're actually living that kind of plan that you've created that you learn the most. And it, it might go in a completely different direction than you intended, but that's not something bad like to to just roll with that and to enjoy that process I think because I spent a lot of time trying to conceptualize it whereas I could have spent like at least a fraction of that time I could have added that to the actual process of creating it and uh, to fine-tuning it so I think the next if I were to do it again um, I would just like do it like I wouldn't um, hold myself back from actually recording because I for a really long time I kept debating whether or not like I was trying to make every single thing perfect in the recording process that I didn't actually it felt very rushed by the end of it when I was trying to edit it all together. Yeah. I don't know if that's something you experience as well, but... I think for me, because I was doing a topic that was more removed from myself like I, I feel like the theme for the three of y'all was looking into yourselves and like into your personal relationships and um, things that you experience every day and like creating a piece about that but my piece is about a third party thing and with that I think comes a different level or a different style of research um, because I'm not looking into myself or asking other people questions I need to research like different concepts and buildings and people who contributed to those concepts and buildings and I found that I kind of ran with getting the audio first and making sure I had my tape and then worrying about the research after but then I found that I was kind of in this space for a couple of days where I had a lot of audio but I didn't know what to do with it because I still wasn't exactly sure what I was making my piece about because I knew how I felt about the exhibit and how I felt about New Kirkadia and how I experienced it but because it was this whole other thing I felt like I needed to better understand the exhibit and what went behind putting it up before I could actually speak on it and put a piece together and thankfully like everything worked out especially all the pieces that I um, recorded out in the field and on site but I feel like if I had done all that research earlier I would have had a better idea not just about how I felt about the space but about what the space is in general and it would have been a shame if like after doing that research I realized that none of the recordings worked with what I actually needed to put out to like do justice to describing the space and then I would need to have to go back um, with my partner and my roommate to re-record, which they would have done with me. Um, And they had a lot of fun, so I'm sure that they wouldn't have complained. But also you lose that spark of um, experiencing it for the first time, because I think that was part of what was so genuine about the audio, was that when I went with Max, it truly was the first time that we went down there. And then when I went with my roommate, I had already been, but she had not experienced it before. And I think in order to not lose moments like that, if those are moments that you want to incorporate, you really need to be sure to just have all your ducks in the row and know what you what you want to produce beforehand. And I don't think I had that proper vision until about midway through. I get what you mean. There's like a lot of pressure of like capturing the moment. And at the same time, it's like, should I be capturing something else? Because I'm thinking about this in relation to like the piece that I want to do on Saturday. It's like, should I focus on my brother? Should I focus on Shiv? Should I focus on like the noise in the table, like the chopsticks and like the tea? And I'm like, but there's only one microphone and there's only one person and I want to eat so I'm like how do you do all that so then the moment that you are editing it's like you have everything you need right because you can't just re-record and I do think there are like two ways to approach this it's either you just record everything and get so much tape that no matter what angle you go 
you have the tape for it, which I think works really well when it's not just one person who's also trying to eat and also enjoy their time and it is like a whole team of people. But when it is just the one person, there's more emphasis on like having that script and knowing what you want from the outset. But it can be so difficult too because the project kind of takes on a life on, of its own as you edit and as you record. This is a horrible <laughs> analogy, but you know when you are like planning out an outfit and you're like, okay, I'm going to go home. Like you're tight on time. You're like, I'm going to wear this. And you go and you try it on and you're like, this makes no sense <laughs> that yes. happened to me so many times and then I'm like well I'm not going it's like your brain gets fixated on that outfit mm. and now you have no more clothes yeah. I kind of feel like this is like that's the danger of like if you don't collect in my, the way I edit sorry disclaimer like if I don't have enough tape and then I think like oh this is my plan and then I put it together and it sounds weird I'm like well it's we're scrapping this project yeah. on to the next honestly that's what I was saying like a lot of these moments it's like these uh, perfect moments that you capture come out of like seren- it's like serendipitous like it's not something that you planned for but the it, it, it like somehow works its way into your piece and it's perfectly timed and perfectly put together and I think that was like I think I have to like strike a balance between what you're uh Sabrina what you're saying and what I kind of felt like throughout this process is where you plan to an extent but then also allow moments to come out of the woodwork Okay, so we're going to take a quick break, and when we return, we will continue the conversation to discussing self-love, self-care, and self-acceptance. You're listening to The West Meeting Room on CIUT 89.5 FM, the sound of your city. Stay tuned. That means, hello everyone. You are all listening to CIUT Wadranota. You're listening to CIUT Radio, 89.5 Nicantrum. It is placed at the frequency of 89.5. And welcome back to the West Meeting Room. We're joined by the team and Brayden's child, Mattis, discussing the theme of self-love, self-care, and self-acceptance. And um, because we are here <laughs> with Brayden and Mattis, I actually wanted to start off with a question for you. And I wanted to ask, how has becoming a parent reshifted the way that you conceptualize caring for yourself? Um, well, I mean, I guess first, like, that's such a thoughtful question. Thank you so much for asking. I'm going to ask, like, all the new parents in my life that question because I think it's really important to hold space for that because yeah when you do have a child or you're raising a child like your output of labor just goes up so much and in my case like I don't think I was very good at advocating for myself or asking for what I needed before um having a baby so it's been a steep learning curve but in some ways it's almost easier because it's like it's like dire (laughs) like because my output of labor is is so high and like you are pretty sleep deprived like something like I was talking to my doctor just about like yeah the transition and checking in and she's like yeah you know basically uh you're gonna be really sleep deprived for the first like six years (laughs) (laughs) so so yeah it (laughs) really Which is some real talk, but um, I really, yeah, just had to reshift and reprioritize and um, and just realize, make 
peace with the fact that no one else is going to prioritize my own self-care other than me. And in a lot of ways, I've, I've learned from Mattis, you know, I'm going to sleep when I need to. I'm going to eat when I need to. <laughs> I'm going to cry and seek the comfort and support of the loved ones around me. And uh, and I'm going to get silly and get lost in the moment. So yeah, I'm taking taking a page out of her book. <laughs> Thank you for that. Yeah, that question didn't come from me, but it, it came from my mom because she does talk a lot about how, um, you know, my brother's in Europe and I'm not home, even though I'm, I'm close to home and how, you know, she doesn't feel safe unless she knows that we're safe. Um, and sometimes she's like up at night because she doesn't know what he's doing and he's so far away. And it really made me think like her self-care is still tied to herself, but it's it's also extended to two other people that you can't really control. And that's just terrifying to me. But, you know, people do it all the time. There's so many parents. So that's I think that's commendable to have that on your mind all the time. For The Room, what are the biggest lessons or what is the biggest lesson that you have learned from experiencing times where you need to self-advocate? Like I said in the beginning of this uh, episode, I'm not good at that, I think. I think like with personal relationships, I have like very little self-boundaries. So like I'm a giver in a lot of things like and a caretaker with my friends, with my partner. So it's like, unless someone tells me like, hey, like I think you need you need a break. It's really hard for me to flag that in myself. Um, and I, I like really resonate with like what your mom says, even though I'm not a mom, but like I can't rest and I can't be okay if like the people I'm very, very close to, I feel are not okay. Oh, it's, it's honestly, I hate it. I hate this quality about myself. Like my partner got his wisdom tooth removed like a week ago and like he was in pain, but you know, everyone gets their wisdom teeth removed. It's a natural part of adulthood. And I couldn't sleep for two days. And like we were together, he was sleeping, he was fine, but I could not sleep because I was so worried about him. So like, I feel like self-care for me would look like placing emotional boundaries, like, and giving myself sort of like space to not worry about others. But I'm very bad at that. So maybe I can learn something from today. Do you find that you care for yourself differently than you care for others? Oh my God, yeah. (laughs) I'm just like, suck it up. Go to the gym and like eat something. And I think like um, lately, something that I've been trying to do is sort of listen to my body and not be too hard on myself because like I am starting like a new fitness routine and I am trying to eat really healthy. But you know, like yesterday I indulged myself in some like emotional eating and I ate like food that I wasn't really hungry for, but I just wanted to feel good. And I like just sort of focused on like, okay, well, this was a choice that you made as an act of I guess you could say like self-care or self-love so now you can't go back on it and like punish yourself for it and I actually like I wanted to bring this up I read this really interesting post on Facebook like I hate saying that I feel like a mommy when I say that but it's basically like self-care doesn't look like buying yourself something new or um, like taking a bubble bath like self-care means doing those really hard things that you know in the long run are going to benefit you the other thing is called self-soothing and I think that's like a it was like really eye-opening because like one of the examples they used for self-care was like we all know that person who like procrastinates opening their bank statements and seeing how they spend their money um me <laughs> like I just can't do it I just like I pray for the best sometimes I'm just like well I hope it goes through it's really bad or like like I have to do a bunch of like insurance claims and I haven't done them so I guess self-care for me would look like getting that stuff in order which I just think is like an interesting concept to bring up like the difference between self-soothing which is really really important but like you're gonna be constantly self-soothing if you don't actually tackle the parts of self-care that you need so yeah I wanted to bring that forward. And Saba what about you what have you learned through scenarios of self-advocacy? 
Yeah, I have this perpetual fear of being misunderstood. Um, even when I like set boundaries or uh, I'm like more concerned about how the other people are going to take those boundaries than I am about like how I feel and how necessary it is for my health to be able to set those boundaries. And so I'm constantly torn between this dichotomy where like I'm trying to uh, advocate for myself, but also trying to get over that really big part of my personality um, that is always worried about other people and so prioritizing other people over myself. And I think something that I've learned is that I'm going to be misunderstood either way. And so I might as well like set those boundaries in a way that is not harsh or like aggressive in any way, but is like to do it in a way where I am able to communicate with the people around me uh, what I need, but also soothe myself in that process and recognize that it is hard. It is really hard to set boundaries. I think that's something that like you're never really taught growing up. Like you're taught all of these skills, but really self-care is like the last thing like you're ever taught. And it's mainly because it's never been prioritized in our society. And so even the people who are not, for example, our parents are also in the process of learning that. And you only learn that through experience. You only learn that through going through these hurdles in your life. And then you reach this like, you reach like the brink like your final like the end like the last straw where you're like okay no now I really need to do it because uh I'm spiraling out and I need help so yeah it's I don't think I've obviously I haven't reached that point where I'm able to understand how I can best advocate for myself also because I'm a confusing person like I feel like I'm so com I'm as any other human being is uh, like my emotions are so complex like one day this is what I need the other day it might be the complete opposite and um yeah I think in all of this I'm trying to kind of strike a balance with myself where I don't let it get until a point where I really like I'm I'm collapsing that I advocate for myself I'm trying to do it right from the beginning and understand what I need and understand what my body needs, what my mind needs to communicate that effectively with the people around me. And if they're able to do it, they are. And if they're not, also recognizing that they're also human beings who are struggling with their own inner turmoil. And so maybe they can't show up for me the way I want them to, but to also accept that and to show up for myself. Yeah, I think that resonates with me, the idea of being complex and um, not really knowing what you might need or, you know, showing up for a situation on day one and you're like, oh, I need this. And then day two, you're like, actually, day one situation's fine because everything else, so I'm not stressed or what have you. And I also have that fear of like asking for something and pushing for something. And then once I get it, realizing I don't need it or realizing I need the opposite or like feeling as though I'm making myself seem unreliable or unstable, like even to myself and then like to others. And I think for me, what I learned that helps me with self-advocacy is to seek support and to use others like my my friends and my family and my partners um, who really just care about me as sounding boards and to explain situations and kind of talk out what I need with them. I find with a lot of situations, you know, your mind forgets and new things come in, especially if it's something that you've advocated away from. And you sometimes forget why you acted in a way that you did or why you asked for what you did or why you stopped going to what you did. And it can be easy to remember the good times. I find it really useful to go back to those people who are kind of in the thick of it with me um, to be like, I feel really bad about the decision that I made and what I asked for. And like, I just, I can't remember why I asked for this in the first place, like why I made things so complicated or why I wanted accommodations. And it can be helpful to sit down with them. And they're like, well, I remember you were telling me that, you know, you were stressed about this and you couldn't get this done 
and also remember you were having family issues here so you were also stressed just bringing you back to that moment and bringing you back to you know the whole circumstances surrounding why you decided to step into that space of advocacy in the first place instead of just sitting back and letting things happen and it's kind of like when you tell your best friend that like your boyfriend cheated on you or whatever and then he's your ex and then you go to her and you're like I don't remember why we broke up and she's like listen I have all the texts I have all the emails I can get the girls numbers if you want to talk to them but for like all situations just having someone who is your cheerleader and isn't necessarily in the situation they're only related to the situation through you so they don't necessarily care about that thing they aren't attached to that thing the way that you are but they are attached to you and if that thing has caused you pain and stress and suffering even if you yourself know like the whole scope of how good you feel doing it they just know how you felt bad and they don't want to see you feel bad again so it's nice to talk to those people because they're going to remind you they're going to tell you why you felt bad I was just thinking about something that you said that I just want to quickly touch upon. I'm not mm-hmm. going to like go on for ages, but um, the idea of like trusting yourself as well, like trusting your inner intuition, because sometimes I think we grow up learning to betray ourselves constantly. Like the act of self-betrayal is something that becomes so normalized and common to us. And so it's also like trusting the decisions that you make and um, in that moment, and even if you regret it the next day, knowing that in that moment, that was the best decision you could have made for yourself. And then also, but I'm like going to contradict myself. I think it's important to trust yourself entirely and like wholly, but also find someone in your life that you trust more than anybody else. Um, externally like external to you like i mean first it's yourself but also someone uh outside of yourself who you trust wholeheartedly and who who you know is going to be there for you and is going even if what they say is really harsh and sounds harsh and sounds like completely like impossible for you it's also recognizing that maybe that's the best thing like sometimes like the truth is harsh and like the steps that you need to take in order to kind of heal uh is it's really tough and it's challenging but like having that person and trusting their word and even if it it sounds impossible i think that's something that i've also learned through this process so I have this horoscope app, which Mika, you know about it, CoStar, and every day the app sends you um, insights just for your day. And a couple weeks ago, I got an insight and it said, your mental health exists in the gap between who you are and who you think you should be. And um, at first I wrote it off, but I've been kind of thinking about it ever since. And I, I wanted to touch on how do you all conceptualize that gap if you conceptualize that gap? And um, if that's there for you, right? How do you take care of yourself when you don't achieve when you know you don't produce what you think you should have or done what you think you should have or you aren't acting like the person that you think you should be acting but you're just acting like yourself I think um like the past couple of months I'm I've sort of stepped down from like a lot of different things and a lot of different opportunities because it's like I thought I was this person who could do everything and have everything and like you know do school do like two jobs have a relationship have friends have family like and I I feel like two months ago I had like a really intense conversation which was like with myself and like this is something a lot of people around me have been telling me for a while it's like you can't do everything and so obviously there are moments where I'm like "Mm." like I feel bad that I can't you know like I'm not in some opportunities that I would have liked to to have been or like I'm reducing my involvement in some stuff but at the same time it's like there's a reason I did this I think it like circles back to this like reminding yourself of like your core and also having people who voice those things for you because like the other day I was walking by someplace and it was like oh like we're accepting job offers and I was like oh my god I should apply and my partner was like in a really nice and joking way he's like 
you can't do this. Like, like another job? Like, are you crazy? And it was just good. I was like, no, yeah, you're completely like, well, you're so right right now. So I feel like being kind to yourself and reminding yourself, like, maybe why you're not being able to reach that ideal, which is always going to be an ideal. You know, it's like remembering your circumstances. I'm also thinking like our entire conception of who we should be is a result of the culture we live in. Like that's always like thrives on comparison, right? Like we're always comparing ourselves to this, I don't know, the standard that's set by society, the people around us and the lives that they're living and all that they're accomplishing. And then we feel like we're behind. Like something that I really struggled with was like when I took a gap year and it was a gap year that was kind of both like something that I desired, but also something that came out of like realizing that this is what I need. And this might sound really trivial, but I don't know why I struggled so much with this with this idea that like a year set me so far behind everyone else and everyone around me is telling me is like shaking me and saying no you need it this year and this year you grew so much mentally like you prioritized your mental health you worked you you traveled you did what you needed to do and it's both a comes from a place of privilege as well to be able to take that year off so it's kind of being reminding yourself that this who you should be is this kind of this far away thing that is not really who you are it's something that a bar that you've set uh because of like that comparing yourself to other people and their circumstances might be completely different to yours like they everyone works at their own pace everyone is doing things uh that are um true to who they are and it's fine if you're doing things differently if you're it's fine if you're defying convention if it's fine if like you're not necessarily meeting up to that standard that other people are setting because you really don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Um, and so I totally believe that statement. Um, and I also downloaded CoStar. And I'm loving it. Like I so mean, much wisdom. Yeah. So much wisdom. I actually, so I love that statement. Mental health, it really is. Like I'm realizing that all of these thoughts that are consuming me every single day, like 24-7, like where your mind has become your own worst enemy mm. is really other people's voices and it's not yours. And so it's really hard though. It's easy to say and hard to do to like block out the noise. But I think it's so necessarily necessary because honestly your mental health is taking the brunt of it no i agree and mika you really did answer my question because i think i relate to you a lot where my i I think i've touched on this before but my partner hates looking at my calendar because i like to mark out my whole day and it's just my whole day is full but also anytime i like quit something or something ends i'm always looking on how to like fill that time but i'm also constantly living on a time deficit like i'm i'm always expending more time than i actually have if it was a budget i'd be overdue on time and he's always like you just finished something and you didn't have enough time to even do that thing in the first place why are you trying to look for something else like breathe because now you're like full you're not even over capacity like you're at capacity and um i'm constantly like should i apply for this should i do this how can i do 18 things at once and he's just like you can't and saba i keep your voice is always in my head whenever i'm trying to think of what i should be doing and who i should be and you're just saying you know sometimes showing up is all you can do and that's enough in those moments like if that's all you can do in that moment then that is enough um so with essays and projects anytime i'm just like this needs to be better but i knew with my circumstances it couldn't have been any better i did my best then that's enough because it's not like i could have done more and i just decided not to because i didn't want to it is like i put my best foot forward and this is just what came out of it so yeah Thank you for this conversation. It was really, really nice. Thank you to my co-hosts, Brayden, Mika, and Saba. 
Thank you to our sound tech, Ari, and thanks to Day for helping to produce the show. And most of all, thanks to you, our listeners. We'd love to hear from you. You can find us on Twitter at HH Podcasting and Instagram at Hearthouse Stories. We're here every Sunday at 7 a.m. on CIUT 89.5 FM, and we post all of our episodes under Hearthouse Stories on SoundCloud. Our intro and outro music was composed by Dan Driscoll. I'm Sabrina, signing off as your host for today. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. And now we're going to be listening to one last narrative piece to play you out. It's called To Love by Saba. What is love? <laughs> I love you. In his book, The Five Love Languages, author Gary Chapman outlines five different ways in which human beings experience and express love in relationships through words of affirmation, gifts, acts of service, quality time, and physical touch. But what I really want to know is what it sounds like when all of these different languages intersect. What is love? What does it mean to love and to be loved in return? How does language present itself as a mode of intimacy? How do we hold space for others through language? And if two people experience love and share in their love through language, how do you bridge a cultural and linguistic divide? And what does it sound like? And what does it feel like when you experience and express love in your mother tongue? This isn't a linear story. It's a story that keeps on going, with no endpoint in sight. It's a journey of love, love of others, but most importantly, falling in love with ourselves. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good. I love you. I love you more. To sit there. Ma'am, to sit there. Do you remember the first time we met? Yes, I remember. Do you remember the feeling when we were sitting down and looking at each other across the table? You were nervous. You were... You were anxious. Anxious. Was it a good kind of anxious? Was it anticipation? Just anticipation. Anticipation. Excited. Yeah, it's like excitement. Desire. Desire. 
What's love? This moment. This moment? With you. With me? Yeah, with you. What does love feel like? Like freedom. Freedom. It feels like... Above. Like you're flying above? Like you're floating in the sky? Exactly right. And... What does it feel like when you feel loved? Is it like being seen? Is love like a kiss? <laughs> or is it a touch? A touch. A touch. A touch. When did you know that you were in love? Mm. It was love. Can you say in Persian? Yes. Hesam da mure love chies. Na, vakhti chijuri midunesti ashaq budi. Chijuri midunesti ashaq budi. Hey, chijuri. Kay midunesti. Kay midunesti. Vakhti chijuri didam. اولین بار اخوان میدینستم تو معنی من من تو دیده بودم تو خسته بودم فندقک What is love? It's the space in between It's the pauses and the silences It's a word vomit of I love yous and I adore yous It's an excited hello and a reluctant goodbye It's an embrace. It's a smile. It's admiration without expectation. It's the sound of the door opening and feet pattering across the hardwood floor. It's a light caress and a tight embrace. It's late nights and early mornings. It's the adventure and the mundane. It's an uphill battle and the sense of relief once you reach the peak and you look out at all the beauty that surrounds you. It's the sound of waves crashing against the shore. It's riding the wave. It's coming up for fresh air. It's feeling your heart expand to make room for more. It's bridging the divide. (laughs) 